Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. This is Brian here with the reunited full squad. We got Paul and producer Dave, which is becoming a rarity these days. But all three of us back together again to talk Disney Plus's juggernaut show, The Mandalorian. And we got a juggernaut episode going to be season three, episode seven, chapter 23, entitled the spies and before we dive into this juicy episode i do want to remind you stop on over to binge town tv that's got our fully backdated catalog of shows we've covered you know 20 plus shows at this point we currently just finished shadow and bone we're following showtime's yellow jackets obviously the mandalorian we've done all three seasons if you want to go back and visit those and many many more it can all be found on bingetowntv.com a newly refurbished bingetowntv.com jimmy jimmy pa has been putting in a lot of work go over to the site give it a look um but yeah without any further ado episode seven of season three after what can only be considered a poor showing from episode six i think they more than made up for it with a banger of an episode for episode seven the spies um i'm gonna hand it over to you two what are your instant takes top three episode i feel like i say that like every recording we've done except for yeah except for maybe the last one which i wasn't a part of but i just feel like every time i'm stepping onto this podcast i'm like oh this is easily in my top five top three and for again it's just time this yeah. season we get a top three episode from dave Dude, this is it was i i don't think i could have asked for much more in this episode besides maybe a mythosaur appearance but holy shit man i i just finished the episode i not even five minutes ago and i'm still kind of shaken up by it i I think this show is just so fucking incredible and i just so much to the story is now but finally being fleshed out and it just feels like we're being rewarded so heavily with everything that we've been theorizing and with all the the many characters that we've met across along the ways it just has all led up to this moment and just to see it all come together even though it kind of went to shit in the very end um it was just phenomenal i I, so many good moments of this episode that i can't wait to break them down and talk a little bit more but 10 out of 10 it was so good man it was so good i can't believe that you know bo-katan and din got the whole freaking all the mandalorians together there's one scene that perfectly sums up how i felt and it was like right when they land on mandalore and bo's like all right let's go and she kind of yeah. starts walking and like smirks a little bit yep that's exactly how i was feeling i was like dude this is so cool like this has been building for so long we're actually doing it um and then of course you know the ending how can that not hit you at home like mm-hmm. that that was crazy um so we'll get into it but uh, again phenomenal episode and it just like made my expectations for the finale that much higher i think another reason why this episode was so great was not only was it just like so story driven with like what's going on with mandalorians and mandalore itself but we had some great comedy moments with grogu in the ig12 like suit like it was just a perfect blend of action comedy you know we got it all in this episode i i can't praise it enough and how well they've just been crushing this mandalorian season and we do see a little bit of the, you know, Grogu's training from all of the everything that he's gone through, just kind of affecting yep. how he is as, you know, himself now. And so you're right, like it does feel like they take a backseat, but they do 
I feel like cleverly still make us remind us that, you know, Grogu has been through a lot as well. And like, try to remind us as well that, you know, Grogu, he's, he's grown up. He's a grown up now, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, if we can beat around the bush, but this episode was as good as it was because we went six episodes this season without a Moff Gideon sighting and we got him in the opening scene and good Lord, I I needed Giancarlo Esposito again, just the way that he says things, his line deliveries. I needed it. It was like he is the secret sauce that makes this show, The Mandalorian, work. Knowing that he is our big bad Moff Gideon and just having him back in the fold, it's it's just such a plot driver. Um, And they gave it to us right in the opening scene. We meet back up with Elia and our suspicions about her were confirmed. She is totally still in cahoots with Moff Gideon. We get this awesome CGI probe droid in the annals of Coruscant's lower district. <laughs> and she's been smuggling information to him, specifically an update on the pirate attack on Navarro, which, oh, by the way, was part of a larger scheme by Moff Gideon. She says, hey, the pirates ran into some resistance on Navarro. It wasn't the New Republic. It was the Mandalorians and him just saying, which Mandalorian? She's like, oh, you're not going to like it. <laughs> but no, those Mandalorians didn't invoke it on that you fucking hate. Yeah, it was them. And oh, by the way, I also hear that they banded together the covert traditionalist Mandalorians and the helmet offers. I don't know how we want to refer to these two factions, but I feel like that captures it. Well, helmet offers sounds really great to me. So So let me ask you guys this question while, you know, Big Moth made his first appearance of the season. Um, I didn't even think about it, but why do you think Moth Gideon was able to control the Darksaber at the end of season two? Because, you know, he did get it from Bo-Katan. We, we actually learned that this episode, Bo-Katan surrendered, handed over the Darksaber, and then he was able to wield the lightsaber, and it wasn't that heavy. So I would almost have to go back and watch that scene because Din did finesse him up real nice. And I remember specifically the one thrust that he has when Din, like the cheap shot, when Din has his back turned, it did seem like it was a, took all his might to do like an overhead swing. Maybe I'm stretching a little bit. We also don't know about his time when he did actually, you know, procure the weapon itself, you know, trained with it or something. Yeah. There is a time period in which he had the dark saber and could have accustomed himself to it. It is unclear a little bit, certainly, but I would just assume that whatever he did as soon as he got it is the reason why he's able to wield it as he is. Or I hate to put some respect like this on Moff Gideon's name, but maybe the Darksaber was like, he is a (laughs) capable mastermind. He's a great leader, even though he is pure evil. Like maybe the Darksaber did respect him to wield it. So I don't know. I can't say for sure. We also don't really know how nuanced it is, like Mm -hmm. the Saber responding to people. But I love that question. If that's all we have on the Elias stuff, it kind of flips from the hologram of Moff Gideon to his in real life reappearance. And he's at his secret base out in the boonies. We don't know exactly where Moff Gideon is, unless we are to believe that he has been in on Mandalore this entire time. And that's where it is. But oh, is, yeah. that, is that kind of the impression we thought he's just been posted uh, yeah. up in the, I mean, the Great Forge? I mean, I kind of said that one or two episodes ago. It was just kind of like a theory, but we were yeah. like, hey, man, if Moff Gideon is hanging out on Mandalore, that's a great place because everybody thinks it's poisonous and and they don't even want to go near it. So that's For the sure. best possible place to hide. 
So, yeah, he might have been just chilling there this whole time. And, you know, we do find out that he's been creating these Beskar suits. So where better to mine Beskar than in the fucking Great Forge on Mandalore? Though I digress, we do see his IRL appearance and then reminiscent of the Phantom Menace when he's walking through these like laser blast shields or whatever kind of takes us back to Mm Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Darth Maul fight. So good. He has not skimped on the security. He's got fully equipped dark soldiers between every blast shield. And then he goes into, you know, his meeting room or whatever. And we are introduced for the first time in the Mandoverse, this Galactic Empire Shadow Council. And my jaw was just on the floor. I was just soaking everything that they were saying in like a sponge. I mean, these are the heavy hitters in what's left of the Empire. And this entire discussion is revolving around, hey, we want the New Republic to continue to believe that we are weak, just disorganized warlords that aren't you know, thinking about their attacks, just doing these random raids. I One guy gets scolded because he's playing his hand too much. They're like, bro, you cannot put yourself on the radar of the New Republic. But I, what do you think of these guys? This is amazing, man. First of all, the blast shields, 100% on purpose. They're like, dude, we can't just have these blast shields in this amazing iconic scene from Phantom Menace <laughs> and then never have them anywhere in the Star Wars universe again. So they've done that a million times in this show, which I cannot praise enough. Uh, and then this Shadow Council was insane because we had no, or at least I had no inclination that they were thinking. I thought Moff Gideon was by himself, organizing things by himself. So when he steps in there and we see that there's like seven, eight other masterminds behind it, insane. and we get the Grand Admiral Thrawn drop too. We don't yep. see him. But he, it could be a big queue up for next episode, the finale. But I mean, just just the conversations they were having, it was like reminiscent of like Game of Thrones, like plot heavy, mm-hmm. like King's meeting or something like that and talking about their plan. I was like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And it was just great seeing that, you know, we've always assumed Moff Gideon to be. I mean, we've we've have assumed and not assumed, but like, you know, Moff Gideon was always the big bad for us in Mandalorian. We never knew if they would touch on it, potentially getting higher than that. And here we actually do see, I feel like that Moff Gideon is almost he is a piece of Thrawn's big plan because it sounded like to me that Thrawn was kind of giving him resources. And so Moff Gideon wasn't just acquiring these on his own. It was he was getting these from another person thrawn who is now going to be again the big bad of whatever next star wars shows come out so a couple things happen here first off moff gideon starts questioning hey where is the this thrawn guy because the way i interpreted it was everybody has been pooling together as much resources as they could and then giving them to these two other guys who get a name drop uh commandant hux or whatever Mm -hmm. and this guy commander or captain pelion Mm -hmm. it seemed to me like the entire shadow council is trying to funnel resources to those two with the promise that thrawn is going to return from out of nowhere and kind of get this grand plan into movement but moff gideon is like yo palion you keep stealing our resources that we are clawing and scrapping for with the promise of Thrawn coming back it's going to be this grand plan the empire is going to be back 
And this Pelion guy seemed to kind of start sweating when Moff Gideon starts asking, when are we going to see Thrawn? You keep talking about Thrawn. We haven't seen him yet. And even and Moff Gideon even goes a step further and is like, I have ears in every part of this galaxy. And I even through my ears that I know I hear everything, even I haven't heard of Thrawn. So Moff Gideon is uh, completely against buying into this whole Thrawn return thing. Definitely. Something I do want to say is I have only there is a lot of lore in the expanded universe about Thrawn. I have only cracked the first book of the Thrawn series, and I have even been introduced to this Pelion character. Hmm. And what he is, is kind of a very high ranking Empire official who seems to kind of be Thrawn's number two. And he's kind of unique in that he's not. He's not like a sinister empire guy. He's like honorable. He's, he can get the job done, but he's not like cruel and ruthless. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And throughout the series, as I understand it, Pelion gets this admiration for Thrawn because Thrawn is a brilliant tactical mind. So Pelion is kind of just his number two. So it makes sense that Thrawn would be acting from the shadows through this Pelion character. Um, The other guy is Hux. And you may recognize that name because in the new trilogy, remember the redheaded dude who was kind of just a higher up in the first order. His name was also Hux. Hmm. That is the son of this guy, Brendel Hux, who it seems like he, they name drop Project Necromancer. Boy, that's not ominous at all. But (laughs) this guy, Brendel Hux, is kind of spearheading this Project Necromancer. Um, I'm just have to connect the dots. Maybe that is the beginning seedlings of their plot to get Sidious back from the dead. Fucking insane. A lot of shit. They just threw at us in this five minute shadow council thing and it was just so so great i love hux hux is one of the good shining parts of the new trilogy i would say as as a big bad um so to kind of get his origin story and to see his coming up of like his father's upbringing and stuff like that yeah again makes it makes great sense Mm-hmm. And if you thought that there was a similarity in the appearance of the two actors, it's because this guy who is playing this Hawks is the brother of the actor who played the other Hawks. That's of kept they, it in the family. They just knew it. Yeah, they just knew what they were doing when they cast the original. But yeah, they bring up the fact that Pershing got captured by the New Republic. Moff Gideon's like, yes, so, you know, his cloning stuff has been lost for now, but we have to assume that Gideon is privy to the fact that Pershing just got his mind flayed. The other thing is before we even get to the Shadow Council, as he's moving through his compound or whatever, we do pass vats of what seems to be cloning vessels or whatever and oh by the way these ones seem to look a little bit less misshapen than the ones that we saw in the previous season so all that is to assume gideon is continuing with his cloning experiments and he's getting better at it i was only gonna the only comment i was gonna say here was that i was really hoping we would get the dubstep that we got from season two in the finale (laughs) with the the scenes because that was fucking hype i hope that we could still Mm -hmm. get it but at first, I thought it was like Dark Trooper casings, but you're absolutely right. It's the cloning. And then he even alludes later in the episode, like we're taking, you know, 
ideas from the cloners, Jedi, and all these people, which I want to get into later because that was a really cool concept in itself too. But absolutely, you can see the progression of how all of Moff Gideon's research, even when he's you know, mm-hmm. captured for a little bit, it's not stopping anything. There are resources and funds that are going to be going into this research. And speaking of that, I think it's Hux that starts confronting Gideon about, hey, didn't you have Pershing like on your own in a planet? What the fuck was going on with that? Like what experiments were you running independently? And Gideon, as he does, just kind of glances over it. And he's just like, hey, all I can do is be in charge of my sector. Like all of us are all in charge of our own sector. And then he immediately shifts the focus to, and hey, I've been experiencing these Mandalorian attacks in my sector. I think that we should stamp out the Mandalorian threat once and for all. I know where this Din and Bo-Katan are. They assembled all the remaining Mandalorians all in one place. Hey, Hux, can you give me, I think he name drops three Praetorian guards, which we see them in the later scene. The Praetorian guards are no Mm. joke. Nope. Bunch of TIE interceptors, bombers. So he's trying to reinforce. He's like, hey, let's let's hit these Mandalorians and let's eradicate them once and for all. And it seems like the shadow council agrees with him. Yes, we will give you these resources. Take care of the Mandalorians long live the empire. And then we get a nice, da-da, but <laughs> it is not a triumphant one. This da-da seemed very empire centric. Da-da. That's one of my favorite things about the da-da's depending on the episode. It's got like a little bit of a little flair. If it's going to be a lighthearted one, it's a lighthearted da-da. But if it's going to be an empire one, it's going to be like a da-da. That base is going to be hitting in that mm. but yeah. I, I i i think this might have been one of the best five minute snippets from this show that we've gotten all season i think just they hit us with so much information and it's information that we have been craving for three seasons now mm-hmm. yeah between this and the scene we get later with all the mandalorians you know sitting down talking i'm like dude this is like i, and I said this earlier but it's like uh, Game of Thrones, the last season. I think it was like episode two when they all like conform to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the, I forget what it was. The wall. No. So were they? They were, they were in um, Winterfell, weren't they? Just Okay. It was Winterfell. Yeah. Yeah. When they all converged to Winterfell and they're all talking that night before. And it was like, oh my God, watching these characters interact is so cool. Yeah. And all this info drops. That's what I was getting from this episode. It was so rewarding for the non-action scene info was insane mm-hmm. and we're about to get into the night house too i'm like oh my god that's so cool yeah. it was insane couldn't agree more it, it was a great payoff for questions we've had for a while so i i also just love learning more about the empire and what they got going on because the new republic doesn't have a clue right now <laughs> Anyway, that's anything else about that Moff Gideon Shadow Council stuff? I think we hit a lot of the beats. Just John John Carlo is just such a great villain in any role. I mean, he's just an amazing actor, and he really brings such an impactful role as just being himself on this set. And I I'm so glad that they were able to cast him. I was ready for Thrawn to come in right in front of Pelion and show his face right here just to like squash the rumors. Uh, but <laughs> now of fact, course not of course not the fact that he didn't you know it kind of makes me think all right next episode are we going to get like the end of gideon and the rise of thrawn as like the new big pad 
So, probably because it's gonna be the this is it the next episode's it right i think that's that's gonna be it for the mandalorian this chapter we'll talk theories <laughs> at the end of the episode because i have some ideas about what might happen next episode and i do not think it's going to be gideon's demise but mm, yeah gotcha. we'll, we'll get into it okay mm-hmm. so we return to Navarro and we see the light cruiser flying overhead, but hey, it's not the Empire because it's got the stamps on it. You know, we got the uh, mythosaur tattoos and this entire episode is kind of just working through the growing pains of, you know, the rift between the two Mandalorian factions. You know, when you bring them all together, they're going to butt heads. Paz and Axe Wolves have a little stare off when they initially like land, but the armorer smooths things over, and that's really all it is. They want to have a feast later in the night. I'll just yeah. never get over seeing that many men. It's just so awesome when we see that many Mandalorians in one place. Like I was ready for a little bit of a showdown, so I was getting myself comfy. I was ready for a fight, but glad they didn't fight. But it's I just will never get over seeing just all the different types of like how they've molded each set of armors and how each one looks similar but not really similar and it's just it's just so badass because you know also on top of it not only do they look cool they can fucking rumble if they need to so it's just a troop of badasses it's amazing yeah i don't know like if they were nominated for emmys or what they definitely showed for costume design because yeah they like exactly what you said they make everything so unique but you can still tell by what the individual's wearing pretty much where they're from yeah as it's as, awesome yeah as confusing as that sounds it makes perfect <laughs> sense but it was even cooler how like you could tell at least in this moment where you know axe wolves and bo Katan's side they're a little bit they focus more on the blue color scheme whereas the um the the ones with like paz and the armor they're a little bit more multi-set of colors i guess that's also in kind of speaking on like just the resources that were available to them it seemed like you know the armor's side they were really scrapping for best car so they don't really maybe have matching gear for everybody whereas Bo-Katan you know they fought for mm-hmm. these resources so again just it was cool seeing the the two sides but then when they come together it's just amazing all I know is that I love how everybody has their unique armor and I love that Din has the most badass armor yeah of course of course unquestionable Though I digress. So the two Mandalorian factions meet for the first time. Eh, There's some tension in the air. Grief comes to congratulate Din on successfully reuniting the people and starting the retake of Mandalore, whatever, with a bottle of champagne straight from Coruscant. And then he's like, hey, I also have another present for you. And we get this lighthearted, hilarious Grogu in the IG-11. Well, I guess he's IG-12 IG-12 now, yeah. This was just a very funny scene with the yes, no. I also like when the Andalin, the little alien, was just like, no, bad baby, no squeezy. Dude, <laughs> these guys are just so cute. Yeah. I was, I was, I could not stop fucking laughing. <laughs> it's just Grogu abusing the buttons of yes and no. And he's like, yes, what? Yes, <laughs> yes. It's so good. He's just so excited. He's walking around. He's like, yes, yes. I fucking love this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, great way for them to be able to have Grogu communicate a little bit, um, you know, without him actually speaking. I want him to speak, but once he does, I feel like he's going to lose that Grogu baby charm a little bit. Um, So this was a cool middle ground in between that to help because, you know, if you don't have Ahsoka around or Luke to just read his mind and tell you what he's thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. Din's not going to know. And it, but that being said, 
I think it was it was so much easier in the cradle, right? You just have that little shell drop down if there's any trauma yeah. or any trouble. Um, but instead, now he's got to like control Maneuver, it and yeah. run up hills and shit like that when they're running. But I was like, whatever. It's a great way to have IG 11 now 12 back in here. I think it's more of an offensive. It's maybe not so more so for defense. I think it's just also like Din has recognized it as we see multiple times that he recognizes that Krogu, he's finally kind of realizing that he's an adult and not a baby. And so he's like, look, if you're self-aware of all this shit, like you need to be prepared to fight. And I don't even think it's more so for defense. I think it's just like if we get surrounded, we need an extra body to do something rather than just like sitting in a cradle, you know? I love that line. He's too young to operate heavy machinery. Yeah. No, that, no. <laughs> His paternal instincts kick in. It's like sending off your 16-year-old like in a car for the first time. It's like, yeah, oh, it's a little dangerous. He's, I thought it was very, very cute and showing that side of Din. I always love to see it. Then they go out, hit the town. You know, he's like fucking with the street he's vendor. still and spamming Din's... the yes button the whole <laughs> entire time. He's so happy. This would be so annoying. And I am completely on Din's side. This is an adjustment for me yes. as the viewer. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work with Grogu and this robot. And Din mm-hmm. says straight up. Just for the record, this isn't working for me, which I thought was so funny. I love that he's like playing keep away with Din. Like he has the fruit in his hand. He's like keeping Din out the side and Din's like reaching yep. for He's like, give that back. And he's like, no, I'm like, he's got he's feeling that power now of the height because he's never had a height advantage on Din. So he's finally putting it to use here. It's so good. It's like giving your cat a droid body. I would never give my cat that type of power. Like the Rick no, and Morty episode yeah. with the, the dog. Where, where are my yeah. testicles? Yeah. <laughs> where are my testicles, Jerry? <laughs> yeah. So that takes us to the Night's Beast. And Bo-Katan kind of just addresses the congregation of Mandalorians. And she's like, hey, it's awesome. We finally reunited. Mandalorians are stronger in number. This is a great checkbox that we got done but there's still a lot of work left to be done um specifically if we want to retake mandalore that planet is in a shambles you know there's the radiation around the atmosphere we can't contact the surface we just got a lot of work to do we got to find the great forge we got to set up a safe perimeter and we got to start settling this place so she proposes i think we should take the mandalorian fleet and just have it perpetually in orbit around mandalore just so we can just be on the scene at all times. That's what it's going to take to start getting the ball rolling and try and reclaim our society for lack of a better words. And she's like, who who wants to volunteer to help me on this mission? And of course, all of our named Mandalorians do, you know, ask, Axe, uh, Din, the armorer, <laughs> Sasha Banks. I forget her name, but she's in the WWE. Um, <laughs> I love to you know, Axe and Paz are, you know, eye contact this entire time. Paz is keeping an eye on him. He doesn't trust him. Axe is like, I'll go. And immediately Paz stands up. I'm going to. Yep. Like, he's <laughs> like, you're going. I'm going. Fuck you. I don't trust you. One thing I will say, though, is I don't know if you guys mentioned it because he was introduced last episode, right? Six. I think that. Axe, Axe. I think he was in season one as just one of Bo-Katan's like You're right. guys, and now but he's being fleshed out more. The name Axe Wolves will never not sound like a porn star name. Like that's it's just <laughs> it just sounds they're like Axe Wolves. It's just like something like out of a, like an American Dad Roger persona name. Like it just does not feel like a real name. <laughs> yeah, it's like comically badass. Like 
they yeah. just looked for the two like coolest words and threw them together. Yeah. Axe wolves. Yeah, it's ridiculous, <laughs> but I, I'm on board. Ricky Spanish. Not, not <laughs> as cool of his brother, Sword Lion. So what? Axe, Axe wolves, sword lion. That's just basically. Oh, sword <laughs> lion. I thought you said sword lion, like L I N E. I was like, oh, oh no. Those two things. <laughs> <laughs> don't connect okay sorry, sorry sorry sword lion i actually like that better than act mm. no you don't <laughs> cut, cut all this they're both dumb oh <laughs> I mean, God, but in a cool way that was we great. were talking about how cool oh, is so axwell's was yesterday <laughs> it's all cool man okay let's get us back on track here bo katan gives her speech a bunch of people volunteer the next scene is them arriving at mandalore taking the shuttle down they make contact on land they're able to land Bo-Katan's ship. And this is the scene. I think Paul said just she gets out of the ship. She can't really contain her excitement. They're cautiously optimistic, of course, but like they're excited. They're back on the home planet. They got like the settlers ready to go. This is actually happening. And they're just like, we start scouting in this direction, which let's be honest. This is fucking ridiculous. They're just like, we got to find the great forge let's just walk around the surface of this entire planet until we find it <laughs> i guess maybe they know that it's supposed to be close to sundari but though mm-hmm. i digress they don't have to wander for long until uh before they are confronted by this kind of sand ship of other mandalorians that are they've just been there since the purge i'll be honest that ship would have fit a lot better for um who was the pirate king? What was his name again? I'm already blind. Gorian Shard. Gorian Shard. I feel like Never that it, it looks so perfect as a pirate ship. So I was expecting, I honestly thought for a second, I was like, no fucking way Gorian Shard survived that 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 blast. But it was the the night owls, correct? As they as they which, claimed to be Mandalorians. My initial reaction was that these guys are sus and they might be working with the empire but it seemed like their motivations were good but yes they recognize Bo-Katan as being one of the night owls they pledged their allegiance again to her said oh I knew you wouldn't forsake us so it seems like they're on team Bo-Katan I I don't think there was a doubt for me that they were like I mean maybe early on but once like they say is that Bo-Katan's voice and she's like it is and then they fly over I'm like, okay, like we know that these are these are OGs. As soon as they recognize their voice, in my eyes, there I'm like, okay, these people know her, like they respect her. This is gonna be great. Of course, they know exactly where the forge is, so they can bring them right there. That was a little stroke of luck. Yeah, um, stroke but, of luck. But the fact that these guys stayed during the night of a thousand tears, is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and since then scouring the surface like uh migrating every time like a patrol comes around just absolutely insane they were able to survive so i guess if that's if that's what they were doing they were here this whole time i guess the surface was never actually poisoned with radiation but there is like we we know and they talked about there is this almost bubble around the atmosphere that they can't get comms through because there is a little radiation at least there so when they're on the surface they cannot talk back to the fleet Mm -hmm. which has big repercussions and i will say to b toms to go off of you kind of questioning their loyalty at first i honestly was questioning it at the point like i was fine like i thought they were loyal but then the whole i'm jumping the gun here but the whole ending scene happens yeah and i'm like they definitely just sold out 
to to Moff Gideon because how like because then I'm thinking like how would they have been on the planet for so long know where the Great Forge is never bothered to kind of like explore and see like oh shit someone's like running the show here we got to get this out it was a little that was maybe my biggest like quarrel with this whole episode was that the Night Owls kind of just appeared but they weren't even aware that Moff Gideon was in the Forge yeah but, it it makes sense that they both sides make sense. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if they did know Gideon was there and they were working in cahoots, but at the same time, the em- empire's base was pretty deep in the forge. So it's not completely out of the realm of possibility yeah. that they knew about the forge, but didn't know the empire was there. Yeah, I'm inclined to believe that that is not a storyline and they are just well-intended Mandalorians. But- yeah. I think it's just, I think they're well, well-intended, but at the moment when they're like the, when we found out it was a trap, I was like, no fucking oh, yeah. way. They just turned on him. But it's I'm glad they did. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't. Uh, Any hoozles. So later that night, we have another just kind of conversation between Bo-Katan and the Sand Mandalorians. I refer to them as the Sandmans <laughs> in my notes just because I found them in the sand. Not important. And they're kind of just recounting how the Night of a Thousand Tears played out and what the Empire did after everybody who was able to get off the planet escaped. They were like, yeah, they fucking made an example out of us. They wanted to show the galaxy what happens when you refuse to submit and surrender to the Empire. And boy, did they. They just went scorched earth because we didn't surrender. And then we get this reveal from Bo-Katan about what actually happened because she was in charge of Mandalore at the time. She had the Darksaber and she says, hey. I did surrender. The ISB, which is the Empire's intelligence agency, reached out to her and had a one-on-one meeting between Moff Gideon and Bo-Katan, whereby she gave him the Darksaber, surrendered, and with the condition that he would spare her people and the cities that were left standing. And of course, Moff Gideon, being a villain, betrayed her and killed the people anyway. And... You know, it's tough for Bo-Katan because that is forsaking the way Mandalorians never surrender. But I think everybody who was listening in understood where she was coming from. That was the only thing that potentially could have spared Mandalorian lives. And she went for it. And it was a swing and a miss because Moff Gideon's a bastard. And Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of the Mandalorians eyes, this actually this revelation helps Bo-Katan's case as a leader because I feel like there was there was talk beforehand that was like oh Bo-Katan she was the death she was the reason all of our people died she decided to keep fighting and ended up getting our people killed but now with this revelation she was like I tried to save everybody I like literally surrendered to to save our entire planet and then they bombed the entire surface and then went back and bombed it all again so I feel like people weren't really believing in her as a leader, making believing she was making the right decisions. But with this truth out and about now, I feel like, okay, she does have the the empire in mind. She does have when I say empire, I mean her empire. She does have her her whole planet and species uh, in mind. I love this speech from Bo-Katan. I think as she was delivering it, I'm just like writing in my notes, like this is just an amazing speech from her because I I personally have been loving the Mandalorian so far, but I've read some articles like in the past before this episode where people seem to be kind of upset with Bo-Katan and her story and it hasn't been like fully fleshed out. But I think this conversation here was 
even though it wasn't like a full on, you know, episode of backstory, we get the, you know, the whole reveal of what happened in the night. We don't get like the actual scenes of it, but just through the words of her telling the story was enough for me because you can, that just allows you to see how regretful and how remorseful she was of the whole situation. It really shows because early on too, I think back in like season one or two, whenever it was, she was first introduced. I was kind of like, questioning her i was like she seems a little sketchy she seems like a bitch a little bit like i don't know if mm-hmm. you know she has the right intentions but this scene if there were any doubts those have been completely shut down from this scene like she really opened herself up to her people and even din afterwards is like i had no idea we were misled like the information we were told was maybe it was true but it was misleading and we kind of turned against you thinking that you had turned on us but I just love Bo Kazan. I don't know how you could hate her after this scene. I think this was just such a well executed scene for her. And it was just perfect for her story because it, we were missing a lot. We were missing a lot of a little bit of her emotions and what digs at her every night. And I think just her gathering both sides, this was the perfect time for her to tell her story. Also, honorable of her to hold that information to herself. She could have like instantly been like when people were digging her, oh, why don't you have the dark saber? This is the first time she's ever revealed that to other people. So she's been sitting on this and just been letting her people assume that she was the bad guy and all this. The way you're saying yeah. that reminds me of when Zoro takes all of Luffy's pain and it's just Zoro's the only one who knows and no one Sanji's yeah. the only one who's questioning it and he's just not going to ever tell anyone this is badness. So to go farther into this Bo-Katan stuff too, she has become every time she talks she talks more of a leader of a nation. And before yeah. when we got introduced to her, it was like, I need Moff Gideon. I'm hunting yeah. this guy down. I That's need hard. this. But now when she speaks, she's really speaking and planning for the good of the people, which I mean, definitely. How can you not like her? And I and, like that. And I like too ahead. that to even take it a step further that she is now kind of she's getting closer to her goal, but she's also kind of realizing like, damn, this goal of mine to like lead Mandalore is a lot difficult, like is a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Because when she's talking with Din, she literally admits, she's like, I don't know if I'm the person for this job to keep and everybody then, together. Yeah. And then this is, I'm getting chills right now because dude, the response from Din was a fucking beautiful. Just the way he's like yep. lady Katan Kree or lady Kree's, I pledge myself to you. I'm sitting here. I have fucking chills. I was like, this was fucking amazing. This is exactly what we needed to dispel any notions of these two are going to fight for the dark saber in the end. Like clearly he in his mind probably already knows that he's going to hand over the dark saber to her. I don't think he's already done that quite yet. Um, or no, he has. Oh, no, he has. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, was sorry. I was episode. watching. Yeah. Both episodes kind of simultaneously, yep. but, but still it's just like this pledge to like Bo-Katan just shows us that she act, she is the one she this is the way you know she is her and yeah he he explicitly says listen to me and kind of my people the helmet honors like <laughs> the physical ownership of the dark saber that literal rule we don't care as much about we follow leaders based on their character are they honorable are they this are they that and that's the reason why i follow you lady crease i completely agree dave this was a great response for him she needed this validation hey you are the person for the job from someone like din to just kind of yeah validate because for her i'm sure she viewed him as a potential rival or you know just someone 100%. who would get in the way of her mission and for her to hear that from him 
just pledging himself. Now that gives her the confidence to be like, yes, I am the one. Very Jon Snow-esque. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bending the knee before, you know, events transpired in Game of Thrones. I do want to <laughs> rewind a little bit. One of the sand Mandalorians that they found this episode brings up. Wait a second. How did all you guys survive? And the armorer chips in by saying, oh, we were on we were hidden on the moon of Concordia and he name drops the organization. So are you Death Watch, which is something that I have been kind of saying that's a thing in the background. And this is kind of the final confirmation that I think was already all but confirmed that Death Watch turned into the children of the watch but the armor is very explicit in saying no death watch is dead we are mm-hmm. no longer death watch because as i've told you guys death watch was kind of no fuego they were yeah. they were violent bad mandalorians children of the watch just seems to be more traditional not taking it to the extreme mm-hmm. um and then bo katan kind of brings us full circle by saying yes mandalore has been too powerful for any enemy to defeat it's always our own infighting that takes us down uh, Paul, were you going to say something now? Yeah, I was just going to toot your your horn, B. Thumbs, <laughs> because I, when she dropped that Death Watch line, I was like, "Oh man, B. Thumbs was talking about this." <laughs> we were at, we were asking questions, and he was, you know, proposing possible solutions, and he fucking nailed it on this one. So it's just yep. great to get that backstory. So. The next day they wake up and the armor is just like, hey, we got some wounded people from these Mandalorians that we just came across. I'm going to double back, get them medical treatment at, you know, take them back to the fleet. So essentially all that is to say the armorer is removed from the events that are about to transpire with Din, Bo-Katan and the others. So the armorer is doing that. So, yeah, it's a long voyage to get to the Great Forge. Really, all that happens is Paz and Axe Wolves are playing chess quote chess it's like checker chess it's star wars chess let's be honest (laughs) um and paz makes up a rule that axe doesn't agree with and axe has a microaggression calls him and his kind primitive so he throws the first jab and paz just being paz will not take that sitting down and he's like hey admit that my rule is right or fucking fight me bro and (laughs) we know where this is going it has to be a scrap um, Din is like, hey, should we intervene and stop this? And Bo-Katan correctly points out, no, nobody from either side can stop this. We just got to let it play out. But who do we know that doesn't play either side of the coin? But IG-12 baby Grogu. So <laughs> he comes in, breaks up the fight. And, you know, Bo-Katan's like, hey, nice job raising that guy. Spamming no. the no button, baby. No, <laughs> no, no. no. no I, I, I love it. I mean... I think it it really does being even though it's just a robotic voice and he's only saying yes and no, the actual hearing of baby Grogu making a noise that says no, you're able to just really both sides are able to kind of soak it in and be like, shit, like if if someone who like can barely communicate with us is saying like we should stop fighting with ourselves, like we should probably stop. And it was great that Bo Katan was like, oh, you taught him well. And Din's like, nah. The Jedi's got that, baby. That's where his peaceful side comes from, the Jedi. So it was great. Again, this goes into what I was saying at the beginning, that yes, it was a very uh, like Din Grogu backseat episode. They still wanted to emphasize that you know Grogu has also been developing. It's not just Bo-Katan. I just want to reiterate how cool this ship is, man. I just yeah. It was so great seeing everybody on deck and 
just flying by. I don't know. I love. Well, it. yeah. Talk about how cool the ship is now before it gets destroyed in the next scene by <laughs> yeah. a colossal monster. It didn't even really play a big part, but it was there. It was massive. It takes down the ship in one fail swoop. All the Mandalorians have to abandon ship. But luckily, that monster was just chilling right by the Great Forge. So they're yeah. already there. <laughs> they take shelter in the I... Great Forge. And then they just kind of like go deeper within its depths i genuinely thought the mythosaur was going to rise from the earth and i was like i thought the mythosaur was going to come out all of the mandalorians were going to be like and i was about to just get out of my seat and be fucking hype and i was like ah shit it's not a mythosaur yeah i was so ready for like it was going to be both sides are coming together the mythosaur rises or like they're they're fighting both sides are fighting over the game and then the mythosaur rises and they're all just like shit you respect that? Yeah, I respect that. All right, cool. Like we're we're all boys now. So unfortunately it didn't happen, but yes, they coincidentally end up right next to the Great Forge. And these this it turns up, man. It turns up. I think next episode, Dave, we're gonna get Bo Katan riding the Mythosaur, I holding the dark hope. saber with all the Mandalorians. I so. hope, man. That would that was <laughs> that would be the goal. That's the the dream right there. That'd be crazy. All right, let's get through this episode before we start theorizing about (laughs) next episode. So they are at the Great Forge and kind of stuff starts progressing very quickly. Uh, I think Axe Wolves is just like, ah, yes, this used to be the heart of our civilization. But they only get like a minute inside before they start hearing jetpacks. Someone's knee jerk reaction is, oh, more Mandalorians. But Bo-Katan's seen these Mandalorians before, and they are not Mandalorians. They are clad in Stormtrooper Beskar armor. These are elite Stormtrooper mercenaries that are just using the Beskar armor. Um, they, look pretty, they look pretty good. They, they look, look pretty, pretty good. good. <laughs> Say what you will about the Empire, but the all-white Stormtrooper is a yes. clean look. It looks so Beskar, good. We're going to get a million Beskar Stormtroopers in the next cosplay, like comic-con and everything like that they look so fresh they were Um, so hot and these guys could actually hit some shots too i mean they weren't necessarily (laughs) not on axe wolves though not on axe wolves though when he was going for the the whole that was axe wolves that gets away right he's the one that goes for reinforcements okay so we have a capable person on that job he does get away, but the stormtroopers are overwhelming them, and then they seem to retreat out of nowhere. Bo-Katan should have been smart enough to not pursue them deeper into the Great Forge. Like, wh- what did she yeah. think she was going to find other than, like, a, tra- a fully yeah. stocked Empire base? I don't know. Heat <laughs> of the moment. You know, you just want to fight if you're a Mandalorian. Yeah, they're all when screaming. They start- they're screaming for Mandalore. So, I mean, I would be ready to run through a brick wall if I'm one of them and someone just, just- says for Mandalore. I'm like, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, you're right. As a Group viewer, think. As Group a viewer think. though, like when you start seeing them like keep going yeah. deeper and deeper and you start looking around at the surroundings and you can just yeah. tell that they're getting into an Empire base. I'm like, guys, stop running yeah. deeper. You're trouble you can tell um, they were just retreating and you're so right as soon as they like turn the corner and all of a sudden you see like imperial interior architecture i'm like oh my god they've been set up this whole time mm-hmm. and the fact that they didn't realize it right away i was like all right heat of the moment like dave said man of lord for man of lord <laughs> but i was like dude you guys are going into a trap come on i didn't know it was going to be this, this severe though Yeah. And I mean, let's just go through the series of events. A blast shield just cuts off Din and like 
two other expendable Mandalorians from the rest of the squad. Um, all the stormtroopers like fly away quickly and then they return, eliminate the spares and they just tie up Din. They got him by the neck. They got him like tied down by the arms. And then our boy Moff Gideon makes his grand appearance. I hate and- how cool he looks. I oh, hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <He's the coolest laughs> man. He looks so it's cool. So cool. The it's only so thing cool. cooler than the clean white stormtrooper look the is the black. contrast of the yeah. clean black. And when oh. someone's wearing black, you know they're important. And boy is he man our boy is just cocky and full of himself he's like i've made some upgrades on the dark trooper suit as you can see it's now made out of beskar and the biggest improvement is that i'm inside it very true Uh, very true he starts going on this spiel he's like every society has had something to contribute to the greater whole the jedi the mandalorians the the cloners And a very ominous thing, he's like, I'm trying to take them all together and make an army of the best of the best. So I'm just thinking he's going to take Grogu's DNA, try to clone it and put all of those jet or force sensitive clones in Beskar armor and make an army out of it. And yeah, and that's that's a scary thought. I fucking loved hearing that because it's just. It's a concept that I feel like, you know, you could definitely foresee as like if you're an average Star Wars watcher, it's like, why don't we just like combine all these cultures and just make one super person? And it's like, oh, Moff Gideon has already thought of that. And he's very close to achieving that goal. So, I mean, it's just I think he he brings up a very good point. I mean, if you take the best parts of some of the best fighters in the entire world, like who is possibly going to stop you? So he definitely had to put he definitely put on a great display of power and fear and just letting them know, like. The world is going to come to an end pretty soon. I'm very close. It's a uh, cell vibes from Dragon Ball Z. Honestly, yeah, just really take is. Piccolo's DNA, Goku's oh, Goku, DNA, Kamehameha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> reaction here was great. So after they take away Din and they just Moff says to his boys, you know, just, just kill them all. Uh, and Bo-Katan immediately goes back with that saber to cut through the blast shield. Love that. Um, I was a little thinking in the moment I was like why doesn't she use it earlier but then I guess if you're trying to rescue Din you're just creating a hole for yourself to crawl through and then just get completely worked by Blaster so in the moment I was like why the fuck isn't she using the Darksaber to get through the door but I guess that would again been a heat of the moment moment where if she had done that they probably would have gotten light up lit up yeah and this was I don't want to say development because, of course, she's not going to submit. But Moff Gideon tried to just power trip her and be like, just submit. Tell everybody here that Mandalore belongs to me. Give me back the Darksaber and just roll over and be a doormat. Because, as we found out previously, she did explicitly surrender to Moff Gideon. But this is a different Bo-Katan. This is a different age. She's going to fight for Mandalore, you know? She ain't going to let Moff Gideon win that easily. But, you know... We end this episode, things are looking pretty dire. I mean, Din gets taken away to the interrogation room. Lord knows what's going to happen to him. Gideon says, you know, scramble the TIE TIE interceptors and bombers and let's annihilate the Mandalorian fleet that I know is in orbit right now. If they get there first, you know, I think he is confident he has the firepower to just completely eliminate them. So I don't know what's going to happen there. I think... I hope Axe Wolves came in clutch, man. That's I all hope I Axe Wolves yeah. came in clutch. Yes. <laughs> this is reminiscent of uh, 
Game of Thrones when they're trapped north of the wall and what's his face has to run back. Oh, it's um, uh, what is his name? Not uh, Gendry. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. That's just what I'm thinking. And I, I mean, yeah. Push comes to shove. Bo-Katan cuts the hole in the back and Paz covers the rear. I I, I, mean, I get it. Is... I mean, I was literally thinking like when they cut the hole in, people are going in. I'm like, Storm Hoopers aren't just going to stop firing for the last person to go in. And so I'm kind yep. of making that connection. I'm like, ah, shit, Paz is the last one, isn't he? And then it's like, ah, shit, Paz is going down. Ah, shit, Paz is dead. <laughs> I, I was, think it was, it was a roller coaster of emotions, man. I mean, we got introduced to Paz and like right off the bat, we knew he was a hardo, but he had a soft spot and all of the growth that we've seen with how we, you know, he's coming to respect our boy Din and Bo-Katan as well. Uh, and knowing that he has a kid too and then watching him do this it's like fuck someone had to die i guess to make you know the stakes higher paz went out in the best way a mandalorian can i think and so this is the way i i truly loved paz i think this is the end of him i don't I don't think oh, we're going to get a yeah, I don't think yeah. we're going to get a fake out here because those things were like in him, right? Like those things weren't like kind of just like yeah. tickling him. Yeah. They were yeah. I think they cut through Beskar like the Viber blade or That's whatever. what I thought so. It's, it, Maybe that's not. what it looked like. It looked it like, looked it like did. they were going through the joints in okay. the armor. The like one on the neck. stomach looked like it went through Beskar, but again, it could have been just like he's got a he's a big belly, so you know, it could have uh, yeah. just went through the side. I also assume that those were the Praetorian guards that yes. he requested from yes. General Hux in the beginning. So these guys are no joke. I know for a fact we're going to see them again. Um, And just this was such a satisfying payoff for the character who I think through the three seasons we've been following him. I've hated him. I've been like, oh, he's getting better. Mm -hmm. But he's kind of been a thorn in our sides. I think in the past three episodes, he's finally aligned himself with the good guys. Hasn't been difficult. And he's just bought completely in and i think this was such a satisfying scene for him after he takes out the entire squadron probably feeling good and then these three guys Mm -hmm. roll in and he just like starts surveying all three of them knows what his fate is going to be but he's just like i'm going out swinging you better fucking believe it um he had in the chat for paz unbelievable exit i mean exactly what you said b toms i was all over the place throughout the show like throughout the different seasons, how I felt about him. I didn't like him in the beginning of this mm-hmm. season when he and when, you know, Din shows up and he after the waters and he's being like a jerk. But I loved him so much. There were so many times where he busts out that big ass blaster and literally takes out people that couldn't be taken out by regular blasters. And I'm like, we need him. Like the Mandalorians need him. He is such a powerhouse. And the way he just held that trigger pulled up until the gun overheated and couldn't function anymore. So bad. at it, And he just says, Hey, you know what? I got my fist too." starts chucking people left and right, which I don't really understand when he shows people off a cliff when they have jetpacks. I don't really understand. As long as they're knocked out, you can throw them off a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Just let him do his thing, man. He's about to die. (laughs) Sorry, 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 sorry. Beast. So uh, then these guards, these are the the Praetorian guards. Snooks. Snooks. Yeah, Snooks. Snook, sorry. Okay. Yes, yeah, Snook. Okay, that, that's what I thought. Um, mm. They have like slightly different helmets, I thought. Yeah, maybe, I think even in the newer movies badass. too with Ray and all them, like they have different helmets. But as long as you see, if you see the all red mm-hmm. with those yeah. like swords, it, like, like you the know, purple. It's Ray, yeah. 
electricity or whatever on their weapons. You know, them as a faction has evolved a couple times, but they began as uh, Palpatine's like personal guard. Even when he was still with the Republic as a senator, Uh, they were his personal guard. Then as he accumulated power, he kind of like more formalized them as a group and they've been evolving. Yeah, they've been in like pretty much every elite of the elite. They've been in like every trilogy a joke in in sometimes yeah. because they <laughs> get sure. the shippy out of them. like when yoda revenge of the sith yoda walks in to fucking finally have that last yep. fight with palpatine and the and two Kylo victorian Ren. guards are right there he just force chucks them against the wall and knocks them the fuck out Kylo Ren, i think fucks up a couple of them in the new one too like they well, just there's that throne room fight with ray kylo ren versus like six of them and That's my the hot take fight. is that it's the worst fight like yeah. that was it was it was that was the lightsaber duel of that movie and it fucking yeah. sucked sucked hey, yeah. well because the choreography this is now going into be ripping the scene podcast <laughs> yeah. the choreography is awful because they'll literally have there's one scene with ray where she's fighting a guard with two swords one in each hand and he gets Ray underneath his arm with like the with one blade next to her, and his other blade in his other arm just disappears because if he still had it, he easily could have stabbed just her in stabbed the back, her. and then yeah. she would have been dead. But they were like, "No, cut that out, CGI that shit out," and it just my, disappears. My whole thing is Jedi versus anything other than a Sith is not a high stakes battle for me. If somebody has a lightsaber and the other person doesn't, the other person's fucking cucked. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. these That's ones, right. it was actually interesting, yeah, to see somebody who's not a Jedi go up against the guards, which, sure. you know, was a good fight. Yeah, it makes it, it actually, yeah, it makes it actually feel threatening a little bit. I yeah. would have liked to see Paz 1v1. Yeah have a good scrap and then maybe the other two come in and just yeah. like ruin his day I'm i wanted fine. him to get one of them at least you're absolutely right but i will say well, that his his final like with the shield and the knife it was so reminding me of dune because how they like they tap their wrists and that they get covered in the whole armor and then they have the vibrating swords as well so i'm just like this is either dune's taking a page out of star wars or star wars is taking a page out of <laughs> dune but it, it was still so badass i've always you know like we all said paz early on definitely rubbed us the wrong way but come to love the guy his suit is definitely iconic in the mandalorians like just that big bodied blue color it's just huh. it's iconic tank. honestly yeah just the tank it's yeah reinhardt so baby i'm um yeah hell yeah i'm <laughs> i'm very interested to see who breaks the news to his son you know whether somebody takes on the role of the father if if it if it's din or even axe wolves that would be cool mm-hmm. to be like Actually you know be cool yeah be like hey me and your dad didn't get along but you know at the end i respected him um he was a great fighter maybe i can teach you and so that's one thing i also am not completely sold on the fact that axe is bad like i could have seen him go through that hole and just kind of dip and go back to meet up with moff gideon oh like you're saying like you could see him being bad still and like he just yeah like so maybe I'm, he was the one that fucking i guess he would have had no way of damn. setting this whole thing up but but if I he told Axe the is on board personally if he told the storm stormtroopers where they were doom troopers <laughs> um where they were be like hey we're coming into the forge get ready to attack and then he was, the fight happens and he's like oh i'm gonna dip when this because i'm underneath a hole how what are the chances of that right mm. so I could totally just be making this up. You know, we could also see him first scene have like the fleet come in to as backup. Yeah. Um, just theories everywhere. But mm-hmm. okay, my last theory I want to bring up is that bottle of whatever that 
liquor was that mm-hmm. um, Grief Karga gave, High Magistrate Grief Karga gave to Din. I wonder if that, when he first handed that over, I was like, that, because he said it was sent from Coruscant, that was mm-hmm. sent by Elia. It's poisoned. She was trying to kill you, Moff Gideon, because she knows like you're not for the Empire anymore. You're try you've changed and now you've become so I thought she was trying to poison Grief Karga and Grief was like, Hey, why don't I give this to Din? And damn it's gonna be like a collateral poison by accident. <laughs> that is a stretch of a theory, but ah, or, wild. Or he pours one out or he pours it out for Paz and then every one of the Mandos takes a sip. Yeah, those true. are those are die. my theories. And then they all die. Well, I love those theories. My theory is that Dent's going to die next episode. And I think don't say that. What? Don't say that. I think it might. I have a creeping suspicion that the trajectory of this series is to follow the Mandalorians and Bo-Katan. No, I can't. I can't even like believe that Dent's going (laughs) to die. But I think our Mandalorians are in grave peril at the moment. And I think they might need a baby Grogu force freak out that would be evoked by witnessing Din dying to bail them out. I could also see maybe Grogu gets captured by Gideon again and kind of next season is Grogu turning to the dark side and fanning those flames. I I don't know what is going to happen next episode, but it feels like Paz is not going to be the biggest death of the season. No, I hope it is. Um, I hope it is. (laughs) We still have Thrawn coming, too. So it's like Thrawn's got to make a statement at some point by killing someone just like Merciless. You said earlier that Thrawn is going to come in and kill Gideon, right? Yeah, that's what I was saying. He's going to usurp him and like set his dominance. Yeah, because Gideon was like, hey, Gideon was the one starting all the shit about. I don't know if we should even follow Thrawn or Thrawn exists. So he's going to stomp him out. I mean, it could be a thing. Or they could come together, but like I, I just there's so many possibilities of like the big cliffhanger at the end. I don't know For what's sure. going to be like the last big scene or big moment. I mean, that's that's kind of <laughs> what you want in a penultimate episode too. Just rising the action and still leaving you on a cliffhanger, so maybe they can just knock it out of the park with uh with the final episode of the season. But we've made it to the end of the episode. Do you guys have any lasting thoughts here? Season three has been the best. So good. Ready, dude. I'm ready for the finale. Yeah, that was a great episode. And they did tee it up for just a fantastic episode eight. And then we'll probably have another three years before we get another season of The Mandalorian. So (laughs) not looking forward to being in limbo, having to wait for another season. But we still got one episode left. So we're not done yet. And. Oh, by the way, you better believe we're going to be covering the final episode of season three. Looking forward to it a lot. And as always, if you like what you heard, give Vinchtown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us at VinchtownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, the Apple podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Vinchtown TV. This is the way. Sixers caught the dub. Let's go. Sixers and four. Yes. 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 You're listening to the Geekscape Network.